I'm Kerry Herford-Jones. Thank you so much for joining me for another in our series, Explore Sailing Topics with Imray. Today I'm talking to David Bagley, who, with his wife Sue, have over 65 years sailing experience between them. And they've certainly used their Beneteau 42 Kookaburra to good effect as they carried out their extensive research of the Balearic Islands, having sailed over 150,000 miles most of which has been since their retirement, including extensive periods in the Caribbean, North America and the Med, as well as Northern Europe. Having lived on Menorca for several years, it's clear that that's where their hearts lie, particularly the relatively less visited northeast bit of coast, a lovely and interesting cruising ground. They say that high on their list of priorities these days is for well-protected anchorages with good sand or mud bottoms where they can sleep soundly through the wind shifts. They also confess to having enjoyed a new purpose to their cruising whilst fact-finding for this their pilot book. And I'm really looking forward to David sharing some of that accumulated knowledge with us today. David, uh, we always like to get a little bit of background of all our guests, so perhaps you could just give me a quick snapshot as to you and your career to date in sailing. I guess I'm sort of really rather unusual. I started sailing at a relatively advanced age. I was in my mid-30s. And I bought the first cruising yacht, which was a Trapper 500, uh, 27 foot, and started sailing along the south coast. And then on to a Holberg Rassi 42, which was my retirement boat. Okay. I retired in March 1998, then spent uh, six years uh, as full-time liverboards on the RACI oh, wow. in the Caribbean and oh. the eastern seaboard of the, the States. That all went uh, very, very well. We purchased a uh, Beneteau 42 centre cockpit, right. which was uh, down in Turkey, seven years, basically five months a year, and then spending the rest of the year in uh, Menorca. We brought the boats to join us in Menorca, in 2016, we were invited to take over the Islas Baleares pilot. Took that on, I guess, primarily because by that stage our sailing had become a sort of geriatric pottering <laughs> and wandering around, and we thought it would give some purpose yeah. to those meandering. Nice to have a sense of purpose and um, to keep you occupied as well, to keep the brain cell moving. Yeah, and uh, indeed, it meant that we went places which otherwise we would probably have just sort of sailed by without thinking about it. What a journey to date. Thank you for all of that. We talked to a number of people who produce and edit these pilot books. It's almost like a constant process, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of, you know, as soon as you've done one, you're already starting to work on to the next one. Is that the way it works? Yes, to an extent, perhaps more so in our case than in a lot of the other authors, because, of course, we are based in our sailing area. The boat is in the uh, Balearic Islands, and naturally we are on the spot. And so, to a degree, I'm working uh, all the time. But of course, on, on top of that, we do get a certain amount of feed uh, coming in from cruising yachtsmen who have got comments to make on the pilot. Yes. So there, there is a fairly constant process there. It's obviously a labour of love. That's the impression I get from your pilot book. Yes, you know, we, we think we've made uh, quite a bit of difference to this one. Certainly, the, the 
uh, last edition was an enormous amount of hard work. If I'd uh, known before we took it on just <laughs> how much time it was going to take, I uh, might not have done so. Uh, having done so, one you know, sort of felt you know, a reasonable sort of sense of uh, achievement, and we really are glad we did it. Yes. And of course, you know, we get plenty of assistance and advice coming through from uh, Imre and the Royal Cruising Club. Of course. Let's look a bit more detail and get in a bit stuck in then into your pilot book. And let's just be absolutely clear about the area that uh, your particular book covers. Well, it is the Islas Baleares, or, or the Balearic uh, Islands. I always describe it as being three and a quarter islands. So you've got uh, going down from the north, uh, Menorca, Mallorca, Ibiza. And then pretty well tagged on to Ibiza, you've got Formentera, which is uh, a lot smaller, but surprisingly different from uh, Ibiza. But that's the quarter of the uh, islands. So three, three and a quarter of islands in really quite a tight area. To put it into perspective, the distance between Menorca and Mallorca is 25 miles. And between oh. Mallorca and Ibiza is 45 miles. So we're not covering a large area. Indeed, I think one of the features of the area is that all the distances are short. Distances between the islands, between harbours, uh, between marinas, between anchorages. It is it's, it is compact, but by its very nature, it, it brings, I'm sure, its own challenges. One of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit more detail about are the anchorages, David, and that is, of course, that there are certain... Uh, challenges, particularly in the summer, I would imagine, in getting into some of those anchorages. I, I'm quite clear in the pilot. If you can avoid going there in July and August, it is a very good idea because it is extremely crowded. Yeah. If you can go in the spring or, or the autumn, your experience will be even better. So it's worth making that extra effort and to, to work outside the box a little bit. When you talk about the, the compactness of the area, where's the places to go? What are the, what are the, are the highlights, do you think, of, of the area? The islands all do tend to be fairly different. Menorca, it has a big history with, with Britain because, in fact, it was British from, let's see, 1713. It was given back to the uh, Spanish Treaty of Amiens, which I think was 1802. But the sort of British ran the place uh, for yeah. most of that time. And indeed, past that time, right through to the end of the Napoleonic War, uh, Mahon was very much the centre of operations for uh, the British Navy in the Mediterranean. So there is a wonderful sense of history and British relationship there. Mahon is, incidentally, is one of the great natural harbours of the world. It could take the entire British fleet. <laughs> um, and it is a very attractive town still in its own right with yes. you know, sort of loads to do and see. At the other end of the island you have Sutadela, which is an ancient uh, city and very, very beautiful. Sutadela is an absolute must in, in terms of a visit uh, as well. It is an island where if you're into history there is a amount to do and see. Anchorages on, on Menorca, it has oh, a huge number of yeah. really very, very attractive anchorages. Starting in Mahon itself, the, 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 the only anchorage in Mahon Harbour is in a bay underneath La Mola, which is a uh, absolutely huge fort and uh, you know, very spectacular surroundings. But like always with these things, it's about prior preparation, preventing yourself being pulled out by the hook. 
it's about obviously looking at uh, and and getting some really good detail which we can of course these days on on weather on on the winds particularly of course yes the winds actually are very important particularly in the case of menorca because it is right in the teeth of the tramontana wind coming down from the, the north yeah. and indeed the north coast of menorca is a place which does require a lot of care in uh, strong northerly winds. In fact, uh, basically it's not the place to be at all. Sure. Fortunately, as I've said before, distances are very, very small yeah. and you do get uh, good notice generally of the winds coming in. And so it is very easy to uh, get to the sheltered uh, yeah. parts of the island. Doesn't, doesn't take long to get yourself out of trouble. No, absolutely. You have some spectacular anchorages, though, up on the north. Uh, really very, very beautiful. A little bit uh, wilder uh, than those on the south coast, okay. which uh, tend to be you know, sort of in wooded areas, cliffs and, and then woods, with you know, sort of beautiful clear bottoms and so on. So you've got quite a contrast between the two sides of the island. So uh, that's Menorca. What about the other parts of the island that might be worth uh, putting onto our bucket list of top three places we must go before we die? Well, Mallorca is, of course, the big island. It accounts for probably sort of 80% of the total population of the uh, Balearics. It is geographically uh, more diverse than uh, Menorca. And in particular, the northwest part of the island is very mountainous and uh, very uh, steeply mountainous and very, very beautiful. And sailing down that northwest coast is really quite spectacular. It is something not to be missed. We get a great lift every time we sail down it. Now, there's really only one port uh, on that side of the island, and that is Puerto de Soya. The lovely large bay, it has a marina, mm-hmm. and it, not very large, but very pleasant. It's a good anchorage. It has very uh, pleasant uh, surroundings, good walking. It has a Victorian tram, which uh, takes oh, wow. you up into the town of Soya. And from there, you can get a Victorian wooden train, which uh, electric train, which takes you all the way into Palma. So you talk there about a lovely infrastructure and it's about getting ashore and actually meeting the people, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Uh, again, one of the features we found is that pretty well everyone you deal with, all the local people, mm. uh, whether they're running the restaurants, whether they're running tourist offices, whatever it may be, whenever you talk to them, they seem to be genuinely sort of really very pleasant. And even towards the end of the season, when uh, you might think they might be getting uh, rather tired of visitors, they always manage to be extraordinarily helpful, I would say. So perhaps a a national characteristic. Uh, Going back to your your sort of general question on the island and and features, um, that north and northwest coast is, is really spectacular. The eastern side is not spectacular in that way, but that's the side where you get a great number of uh, very pleasant anchorages in the callas, the bays, um, that go down there. Indeed, there there are so many of them, they actually call that side of the island uh, the Costa de Callas. One one of our favourites, Port of Petro, down in the southeast. I don't know why it's our favourite, actually. There's nothing terribly spectacular about it, but it's right. one of those places where you always feel 
comfortable. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a small, friendly marina run by the yacht club. They have a boy field outside where you can't anchor out there anymore, but they run the boys and they run them really very, very well. Mm. There's some nice restaurants. I think it's mainly a residential area, more, more than a holiday area. Right. And it is just quiet and civilised and wraps itself around you. Oh, you. You see, you just you conjure up some lovely, lovely pictures there, David. OK, well, let's let's move on through our, our top two, top three of each island. Where next? Well, before we leave Mallorca, there, there are two things I would mention. One is the, the, the obvious one, Palma mm, uh, de Mallorca. It is... A wonderful city. I mean, in many ways, it would remind you of Barcelona or, or somewhere like that. You know, it's a yeah, wonderful yeah. old town, very well-organised city. The, the harbour there has actually got eight marinas in it. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. We, we always try and stay at the Real Club Nautico de Palma. The people are very, very nice. They're very welcoming to members of other yacht clubs and, and so on. And again, it's a place you would always enjoy yes. um, a stay there. Yeah. And the other thing I, I would mention is the island of Cabrero, which is off the southeast corner, yeah. uh, just about um, four or five miles off the coast, which is a national park. You can't anchor there, but in, in the bay there, which is very well protected, there are, I think it's 50 buoys, okay. which you have to book in advance. All right. Uh, and, well, the pilot book gives all the details of sure. how to do it. It's very straightforward. And it is just, again, sort of very quiet and very beautiful. And it's one of the must things to do to go and spend a night or two there. Right. Certainly in the summer, the maximum you're allowed to stay there is two nights. Okay, which is, which is fair and reasonable. That sounds sensible. Oh, it, it is, yes. I mean, they will be totally swamped otherwise, yeah. and yeah. they are very anxious to protect the area. There are some short walks which you can do. There's an old ruined castle and there's a sort of military base for about six people who right. look after it. Um, and, and they have a cantina where you can get a drink and not much else. Okay, and that's right. it. Yeah. Civilised. What, what more do you need, for goodness sakes? Yeah, absolutely. OK, well, we're on to the holiday island of Ibiza next, then. We are indeed. Now, the most convenient place to leave for Ibiza, if you're, if you're going south, is from Andrach on, on the west side of Mallorca. That's where it is, only 45 miles down to the top end of uh, Ibiza. Yep. And at the top end there is an anchorage we nearly always go into because more often than not, we're going down there with the wind somewhere above the beam. Mm. And uh, Cala San Vicente, it's at the top end there, is just around the corner and very well protected from that wind. So mm. you do get the comfortable night when you arrive at the other end. Ibiza, I don't know why, but it, it is our, our least favourite island. Now, okay. uh, uh, you know, I'm not mocking, it's still a, a very nice place, but of the three, that is the uh, lowest of our... Ibiza town is, again, a must to visit mm. uh, because it has what they call the Alc Vila, which is the old town on, on the hill, and which is uh, absolutely beautiful. A uh, good selection of marinas there. Okay. Santa Eulalia, just up the coast from there, is, is, a, is a pleasant little uh, town and uh, marina, but you know, not, not, not an awful lot there. Okay. The only other major harbour is Sant'Antoni, or San Antonio, 
which, if you've got some young people who want to go clubbing, that is the place to go. I'll, I'll see you in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you will, actually. Uh, but it, ha- it, ha- it has an extremely good marina. It's a very, very helpful pe- people, I-, I will say that. Okay. And it's a good place to provision. In fact, yes. it's probably the only place uh, for convenient provisioning on, on the west side okay. um, of-, of the island. There are quite a few anchorages, but... We haven't come across any which we think are as beautiful and that we like as much as we do on the other two islands. Mm. Now, you know, they're perfectly good anchorages and yeah, loads sure. of people use them, but yes, they haven't yes. got, to me, that special something associated with them. David's top ten tips is, is be selective when you're in that area. So that just takes us down then to the last but no means least Formentera. Formentera, yes. Well, Formentera is, is actually very, very different, although there is one sort of corner of the island which is a bit hilly. It otherwise reminds me, the parts of which really remind me of the Bahamas. Wow. Um, it's, sort of, it's sort of very, very low and, and, and sandy. There is a peninsula which uh, comes down from Puerto de Sabina, which is the, uh, the, the only port, or the only real port, which is really basically just a sort of slightly overgrown sandbank. Right. And that terminates in what is just just an island called Espalmador, which has a, you could almost call it a, a classic uh, Bahamian uh, anchorage on it. Uh, a, a lot of it is now laid to boys now, but um, you can still anchor in part of it. And it just gives you that sort of atmosphere of low sands, uh, sand dune wow. uh, around you. Wow. But it, 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 it has the reputation for being a very hedonistic place. Goodness. You've got plenty of choices there. David, we could spend hours on this pilot book, and it's a fascinating area, one that I think hitherto probably a lot of us overlook. But what you're saying is give yourself plenty of time to explore and get the best out of it. Would that be true? Oh, that, that would definitely be true. You know, we, we talked about it being crowded in, in the summer, uh, and that is so. When, when you think about you know, the, the people who are sailing there, first of all, the indigenous population generate a huge number of boats themselves. Yeah, you know, sure. sort of, uh, most of the locals seem to be sailing, and a lot of the expatriate people, uh, whether they're British or German or, or what have you, a lot of the people from the mainland or the south of France have boats there which they come down to. And indeed, in the summer, the, the number of French boats coming down from the southern ah. uh, the ports in the south of France is absolutely enormous. Yes, I, um, I bet. There are almost as many French flags as, uh, as Spanish. <laughs> but if you can avoid that time, and if you are a cruising yachtsman, you're more likely to be able to, yes, uh, then you know, sort of, it is absolutely wonderful, as I yes. say, in, in the shoulder seasons. And I think from what you're saying that the northeast bit of the coast actually is relatively less visited, but is lovely and interesting in itself. Bear in mind as well that it's a sort of crossroads mm. in, in the Mediterranean. If people who are going from west to east are going to come through Gibraltar, maybe up the coast of Spain, which isn't wonderful cruising, but it is wonderful if you sort of stop and hire a car and yes. uh, go into the, the hinterland. But you get up to the Cabo Canal, that's around uh, Denia and Javier. Yeah. You're sort of 45 miles across to uh, Ibiza, uh, to, to San Antonio. So you've got good access coming that way through the, the Mediterranean. And so it's a natural stopping off place. If you're going on to Corsica, Sardinia, sure. uh, the south of France, 
Each of those is, is about 200 miles away from uh, Menorca. And of course, for people coming back the other way, it is also um, a, a, a crossroad. Now, the sensible people, well, people should try and uh, time it so that uh, you know, they're making that crossroad outside the heavy uh, season and spend a few months there. And you, you know, you, I can assure you, you will really enjoy it. Listen, I think you've lifted the corner for us to have a look underneath to see exactly what's making up this area. And again, the impression I get from you is it's all relatively straightforward and very relatively simple and, and all within easy striking distance. When you were putting this book together, David, any sort of highs and lows, the best, if you like, of making this book, the best bits you found of, of exploring this area? Well, you know, sort of as... As you know, sort of rocks don't appear and disappear, uh, and all of them have been chartered anyway, haven't they? They have, hopefully. No, they haven't. <laughs> ah, there we are. <laughs> first, first day out, we hit a rock. <gasps> oh my goodness! Hard. Oh, oh gosh. Okay, I didn't expect you to say that. Right, it's on the charts now. Then, it, it, well, it's one of the stories which uh, sort of typifies why a well-written pilot book helps you. Indeed, it is. Uh, the, 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 or there was in the pilot book, this awash rock off Binimala, uh, Calada Binimala on, on the north coast of uh, Menorca. Right. And it is very easy to see. There is always sea breaking on it. Okay. And the uh, pilot book says, well, if you're going into or out of Binimala from the north, leave it 100 yards to starboard. That's yeah. going in. Yeah. Well, we'd gone in... A different way. There is another uh, route into it, right. and we were coming out, so we left it a hundred yards to port, didn't we? God. Okay. Suddenly, we're about two hundred yards away from it. Yeah. And there is a loud bang, and we leap up into the air, and come down with a splash on the other side. And what the what the chart doesn't show you, and what the pilot book at that stage did not tell you, is that from that awash rock. Yeah. There is a uh, ridge, you know, sort of probably a couple of hundred yards long, right. uh, with at least one point on it, which is less than uh, 1.8 metres. Oh, God. It's... So you, uh, you, you do find these things. Yeah, yeah, and it's lessons, it's lessons hard learned. Yeah, the, the, those are the things which you are looking out for. There are always simple answers if you've been warned that Indeed. it is dangerous. And Indeed. the simple answer there, and it now uh, says it very clearly in the pilot book, is when you're in that neighbourhood, follow the 20 metre contour. Yes, you're likely to be okay then. Absolutely. Uh, and there the, the, the were, in producing the pilot book, sort of two or three other things like that, where uh, we were able to elaborate, if you like, and uh, yeah, so really think that we had done something towards safe navigation as well. Well, I think you have, and, and it comes across in spades reading your book, David, about how detailed uh, you've gone into this, how much time you clearly have spent exploring all these places down there. And as I said right at the outset, clearly a, a labour of love that you and Sue have thoroughly enjoyed doing by the sounds of it. Absolutely, yes. You, you do feel you're providing something 
comprehensive for, for the, the reader. Well, I, I think your efforts are our reward, and there's no doubt about it, David. I think there's a third reason you might buy that pilot book, and that is to dream of faraway places we might visit one day. And it's always lovely to have, I think, inspirational books on your bookshelf anyway. David, absolute joy talking to you today for today's podcast with Imre. I hope you've enjoyed doing it. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. It's a, it's, it's a first for me, actually. I've never done a podcast before, so it's been great fun. Well, it's been an absolute joy, as I say. And would you please pass on our thanks to Sue for helping set us up technically for today's podcast? I certainly will. And of course, I, I, I give thanks all to Sue for all the work she puts into it as well, because it, it is very much a, a joint production. David Bagley, thank you once again so much for joining us today. We will, no doubt, I'm sure, catch up with you again in the future. I hope we do, and the best uh, best of luck to you for your cruising. Thank you once again to our wonderful guest editor, David Bagley, for joining me for this today, the Imray podcast, Explore Sailing Topics. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, and why not join me again soon as I meet up with more of the people who research and contribute to the many books and guides that Imre produce.